and welcome to our podcast. My name is Lewis McDonald and I'm the Global Head of Energy at Herbert Smith Freehills. It's the 2nd of July and I'm in Tokyo today with Monica Sun from our Beijing office. Hi Monica. Hello Lewis, it's Monica. I'm coming from the China office. I'm head of the energy team in Beijing. Thanks Monica. And today we're going to be talking about the Chinese LNG market and we're going to focus on how companies are going about accessing that market. The Chinese LNG market has gone through an incredible rise in, in the last few years. In fact, over just a short period of three or four years, it's, it's risen up to overtake Korea as the second biggest LNG market in the world, uh, just uh, behind Japan. And th this has all happened uh, very, very quickly. Monica, what is, what is driving this uh, rapid increase in Chinese LNG demand? Yeah, I think first of all, people's desire for the bluer sky, especially in the Beijing area. People probably know back to a few years ago, there's a lot of complaint about how badly the pollution uh, was around, especially around Beijing and the Hebei province. Uh, since 2016, 2017, the Chinese government had this coal to gas uh, policies and basically during the winter of 2016 2017 shut down some of the coal-fired uh, power plant and uh, have the policies require them to convert into the gas fire plant and this drives the demand of the gas and energy uh, increases significantly mm -hmm. and monica are you personally noticing a difference in the uh, in the blueness of the sky in uh, in beijing yeah definitely in this couple of years and mm. we are proud, we think we are contribute to the blue skies. We helped the Beijing gas to import like 10 uh, cargoes from NG during the winter. There is a specific arrangement, it's based on the MSA, but the MSA covers like 10 cargo mm, mm. at once and it's supplied during the winter specifically. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was in, um, I traveled to uh, China quite regularly in, in my role um, and I was in uh, Beijing recently for our 20 year anniversary party. Yes. Uh, which, which was very nice. In fact, we had a lot of the energy companies there, didn't we, Monica? Yes, yes. We traditionally start, in work, start to work for the big three oil companies, CNOC, CNPC, Sanofi, mm. and recently it's more like energy companies looking for import LNG into China. So we represent them doing all these things. Mm. Yeah, I noticed a, a, lot of, um, a lot of different companies um, in attendance, uh, ENN, uh, Huaneng, Huarian. So it really seems that the um, companies that are... You know, playing in the industry now in China are, are changing and, and are growing. Yeah. One of the ideas for them is previously those are all the key customs of the big three mm. companies to sell gas, including like pipeline gas as well as the LNG imported by themselves through their own receiving uh, terminal. And nowadays uh, we call them as a second tier buyer. Mm. They want to get become more active and trying to import the LNG by themselves. Yeah, of course, yeah. we can discuss the challenges facing to getting to the, the receiving terminals and how they get access to the pipeline, etc. But they are yeah. becoming more and more active in the global market. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I was in Shanghai as well in April uh, for LNG 19. Yeah. I know you and I attended that yeah. together. Yeah. Um, and I noticed a huge amount of excitement about uh, Chinese LNG. Yeah and the way it is really influencing the global LNG market. Yeah. That conference was very well attended. In fact, the, the skies were actually quite clear uh, most of the days we were in Shanghai, so that was, that was very nice to see that. Uh, we certainly enjoyed the clear skies from the, uh, the rooftop bars um, after most of the uh, events. Uh, I know all the attendees had a fantastic time there. Um, 
But accessing the Chinese LNG market is something that I think a lot of companies uh, find quite, let's say, mysterious. Yes. Um, so maybe maybe it would be really nice, I think, if you can talk a bit about um, how that market works I and mean, who are the players in it, um, you know, and, and, and how, how, are the, how are the terminals owned and, and things like that. So can you just talk a bit about that? Yeah, basically, uh, by March 2019, there are 21 uh, receiving terminals operated in China now. Mm. So 10 of them are owned by CNOC and four of them by CNPC and three by Sandpack. So putting all this together, like 17 out of 21 are owned by Big Three. Of course, within these receiving terminals, there are like a, a minority investment from the foreign investor, like BP, okay. owns 30% of BP, as well as like Pacific owns a certain percentage of the CNPC's receiving terminal, mm. but still mainly controlled by Big Three. There are three receiving ter- terminals, like by Jovo, uh, Guanghui, and Yan'an. Those are privately owned. And people believe by getting these private-owned uh, receiving terminals into the China market, this provide more opportunity for third-party access. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that there was a big spike in activity in the, the, the winter of 2017-2018. What, what happened during that winter and, and, and how... What happened with getting access to the terminals during that period? Yeah, this is a very interesting topic. So because the demand increased significantly and the, the potential buyer in the Chinese market uh, uh, and also some of the trading companies saw the opportunity, they want like purchase LNG directly from the international market. Mm. And the issue is like who will give them the access to the receiving terminals. In the past, during that period, like a CNPC opens some of the receiving terminal in the uh, on a like uh, cargo basis, so they have a window says will give you like two days window during uh, October, for example, anyone wants to get. So this is purely on the uh, spot basis. And recently, CNOC trying to do something more innovative. They will open a longer period, and the bidder can come in and says, I want to import in mm. certain uh, receiving terminal out of the 10th owned by CNOC. And you can get the gas or the LNG through the other receiving terminals owned by CNOC. So by doing that, CNOC wants to give more flexibility to the people to get access. We saw recent news like uh, uh, Zhonghua Oil get certain of this receiving yeah, access. Yeah. It sounds quite exciting to the market as well. Yeah. So there are a few examples where um, some companies that do not have terminal capacity yeah. have managed to get access to it yeah. from the existing players. Yeah. But, but in most cases, um, to get access to the market, presumably you just have to sell directly yeah. Um, to those who actually have the capacity or, or own the terminals. Yeah, exactly. So currently, still the terminal themselves mm. will be the big uh, purchaser. Of course, like a CNOC, Sandpack, CNPC, they will do global uh, buying themselves and they decide which terminal they were to use to import. Yeah. And then most of the buyer can only buy through these three yeah, companies. Because yeah. I know in a lot of other markets around the world, uh, the person who owns the terminal is not necessarily the person that has the capacity in the terminal. Um, we see that in many um, regasification terminals around the world. But, but in China, how, how does it work there? Is, it, is there separation between ownership of the terminal and ownership of capacity, or is it normally the, the same thing? Yeah, most of the receiving terminal I just mentioned are owned or controlled by Big Three. So they have their own trading uh, a team or company mm. and doing all the marketing and then sales domestically in China. So they, they have the all uh, sales strategy. Yeah. And most of the buyer have 
have to only buy from them. There are some of the uh, new activities going on the market, like Guangdong Dapeng. There are just a recent report the, the minority shareholder, including the utility group as well as the power group, uh, get the long-term access to the uh, receiving terminal of Guangdong Dapeng. Mm-hmm. And they are now import the LNG on their own and then using the receiving terminal to do the uh, regasification and get the, the gas themselves. Yeah, so they start yeah. to have more like uh, flexibility to get access to those receiving terminal. Yeah. But so far, they are the own, they are also the minority owner of the of Guangdong Dapeng. So this is not purely like open to an independent third party mm, yet. Mm, mm. I saw in the IGU report from last year that um, during 2018, the Chinese regasification capacity was actually at 85% utilization. And if you look at um, Japan and Korea, the other obviously two big markets, Japan was at 41% utilization and Korea at only 33% utilization. So that <clears throat> that's obviously very high, yeah. um, and it suggests that there maybe there there are more regasification terminals needed. Yeah. Are, are you seeing evidence of more regasification terminals, um, you know, being constructed and being planned? Yeah, definitely, and especially during the last few winters, the demand is really drive. Some of the receiving terminal even runs at one hundred percent capacity. So this gives uh, incentive for the market, especially for those so-called second-tier buyer, those like provincial utility companies, big power companies. They are all applying and trying to build up their own receiving terminals. Mm. This requires the government approval from the NDRC levels, but yeah. some of them has already get very positive uh, approvals to build up yeah, their own yeah. receiving terminals. And are you seeing a lot of interest from um, foreign companies in these um, proposed developments? Yeah, uh, getting more uh, uh, interest from the foreign investors, and some most of them still thinking from the supply of the LNG perspective because they want to get the LNG into the China market. Yes, yeah, yeah. as you've just mentioned, become the second largest market in China, uh, globally now. Yes, yes. So some of the uh, sailor have the thinking: if they can get some investment into the receiving terminal, this will give them some certain advantage when they supply the LNG into the China market. Mm, and mm. likewise, the owner or the planner of the new receiving terminal thinking, if they can get some of the big, uh, reliable uh, 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 provider into the receiving terminal, they probably can get better price yeah, and yeah. get the aligned interest to, to get into the China market. Yeah. So we see uh, increasing inquiries and act, uh, interest from the supplier okay. to invest into the receiving terminals. Now, there's been a lot of... Um, you know, a lot of talk recently about getting access, third-party access to existing terminals. But as I've, as I've mentioned from the report, 85% utilisation would suggest there's not a lot of access to be had. There's not a lot of capacity available. But still, there's still a lot of interest in um, companies getting access to the terminals just because of the opportunity in the market. But, Monica, I know there have been some developments recently about that. And could you just say a bit about... You know, how does it work if you want to get access to an existing terminal in China? And what are some of the developments that are, that are changing things there? Yeah, sure. Actually, the Chinese government started to promote the third-party access back to 2014. Mm. At that time, there is a regulation published by the, the Chinese government. We call it the third-party third access regulations. Uh, which runs a five-year period and ter- terminated by February this year. Okay. So before that, the Chinese government had a new regulations. It's quite similar on the existing ones, but the more the idea is uh, requires the existing terminal to 
published information about the utilization of the receiving terminal, not on a yearly basis, on a more frequent basis. So but through this way, it's proved to the market what the surplus does the receiving terminal have. Mm. And then it gives more information to the third-party user to apply for the usage of the receiving terminal. Yeah. And at, at this background, you will see the activities I just mentioned about CNOC, how CNOC and CNPC trying to open up yeah. their receiving yeah. terminals now. And did you see anyone successfully navigate through that process to actually get access to a terminal? Yeah, so far, as I mentioned, the minority shareholder utility companies and power company of Dapong is really getting this long-term TUA mm -hmm. put in place like uh, later last year to this year and make this happen for them to be able to get uh, access to the receiving terminal on a long-term basis and get their own uh, imported. I know from the market some of the uh, Chinese uh, uh, second-tier buyer talking to the new receiving terminal like Guanghui, Yan'an ones, and trying to see whether they can arrange the similar uh, arrangement. Mm. Of course, those private-owned uh, receiving terminals will be more flexible in, term of, in terms of to provide the third-party. Yeah, sense. yeah. And so, what's the what's the change? You mentioned that the previous rules were going to expire. I think in February. Yeah, it's already expired. So the new rules was in place just uh, two months ago. Since May. Yes, yeah, since May. Okay. Yeah. And so, what's the what's the difference now with these new rules compared to the other rules, the previous ones? Yeah. The the basic idea is still the same. So the receiving terminal will need to open up if it it has the surplus capacity. So of course. As mentioned, how to prove they have the surplus, surplus, surplus capacity. Mm -hmm. So now the new regulation by promoting the uh, disclosure by the receiving terminal cells, so pushing them to disclose during which mm -hmm. like certain period they have a more surplus. For example, like l less busy seasons, so probably you will get access to this receiving. Terminal. Okay, okay. Well, like I've said, it sounds like they're always very busy anyway yes. because if they're eighty-five <laughs> yes. percent utilized, yeah, in the winter. I think in the winter it's very, very difficult. Yeah. <clears throat> I wanted to ask you. I mean, we've just obviously talked about you know you can sell LNG directly to a company that has uh, control over a terminal, yeah. or you can try to navigate access through a company that does not have access to a terminal, for example, a second tier player, as you said. Or I guess you could try and do it yourself as a as a as a as an outside company. Um, I know that the demand for LNG in China is having a big influence on global LNG markets, mm -hmm. particularly around uh, new liquefaction projects. Yeah. Um, what 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 are you seeing in that regard in terms of how this is driving new liquefaction around the world? Yeah, definitely in. Uh, in the process for those big three oil companies trying to import LNG, they are also actively looking at investing into the liquefaction project globally. Mm. Like for example, we have done almost all of their successful projects, mm. including the CNOP investment into Curtis, yep. uh, investing into the APLNG in Australia, and then the most recent ones, uh, CNPC buys into Yamal and the, the, the recent Arctic 2 investment by C CNPC and CNOP. Yeah. So those are the strategy, part of their strategy to develop themselves into the receiving, uh, the, the liquefaction project. Yeah. And we're also being involved into certain of their third-tier buyers. When they look into their strategy, trying to import LNG on their own, they mm. also be interested into buying to minority capacity in the US project, for example, or the Canada project as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I've personally been involved for the Koreans and the Japanese in Mozambique Area 4, yeah. so the coral floating LNG project, which took FID in 2017. And I know that that was strongly 
supported by the Chinese uh, with CNPC's involvement um, in the in the any company and also the financing that came from the the Chinese government. And then in addition to that, um, LNG Canada, where we, again, we're acting for the Japanese there, and um, CNPC came in uh, along with Petronas and, uh, and basically enabled that project. So it's, it's interesting when you look around the world and you see the FIDs uh, that have happened recently and also which are um, due to happen soon. If you look, there's, there tends to be Chinese involvement in almost all of these projects. Yeah, yeah. And in addition, the destination market for a lot of the LNG that's forecast to come from these projects is primarily China. Yeah. It's, it's quite interesting to see the influence that China's now having on the global LNG market. But on that, um, obviously there's a lot of US uh, liquefaction uh, projects uh, on the west coast of America. And many of those, I think, would very, um, very much like to access the Chinese market. But let's face it, we're in the middle of a, uh, how do you say, a trade war uh, between the US and China, um, and there's the tariffs that apply um, to US LNG. Can you just say a bit about what's happening there and what are you seeing on the ground, Monica? Yeah, sure. I think before that, we did see interest from the China, Chinese investors trying to get into some of their America uh, project. We have been looked at uh, with our clients, including into like Lake Charles, the wood fiber project, uh, uh, Cameron project, etc. And uh, at the background of the more recent uh, situation between China and the US, the so-called trade war, uh, we do notice the import of the LNG from those receiving terminal has been uh, decreased significantly or almost like suspended for mm, the period. Mm. And of course, because the increase of the tariff. And this will make people concerned of the cost being imported from the U.S. project. Yeah, yeah. I read a report from Wood Mac. I think it just came out um, yesterday, and um, it said that since the tariffs have been um, increased, <coughs> that there have only been four cargoes of LNG go from the U.S. into China directly. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, <laughs> well, let's assume Wood Mac have got that right. Um, and I, I, it'd be interesting to see where things go from here because I know that those US projects have, they're underpinned by long-term contracts, um, often with the investors in those projects, uh, and the volumes have largely been going to Europe from those projects. But it'd be interesting to see how over time uh, there's an impact and also who benefits. I understand that um, some of the other uh, sources of supply, uh, particularly um, out of Australia, uh, are seeing perhaps some benefit here in that they are getting more direct access to the Chinese market. Yep. Um, and I guess we'll see how things play out over time. Yeah, uh, I think at the project level or investment level, we're still seeing all these uh, US projects being actively promoted in China. Mm -hmm. and you, you probably see mo most of them in the LNG 19th in Shanghai. Yeah, there was a big <laughs> presence there from the US companies, that's for sure. Some very uh, spectacular uh, presentations, yeah, I have exactly. to say. Yeah, uh, and we noticed that some of the new projects, they're not saying they have to sell on a very hard basis. Mm. So they are more open to the buyer uh, to see what type of other type of the pricing uh, uh, formula they want to use. Yeah. So this also makes like them their uh, project more appealing to the Chinese buyer. Okay. Well. well, definitely some interesting times ahead. Yeah. Let's let's move down. Let's let's move slightly further downstream, Monica. Um, so once the gas goes into a receiving terminal, it then has to be. Uh, 
uh, the LNG needs to be regasified into gas and then it has to be sent out, you know, into the um, Chinese gas infrastructure. It has to go into the, the pipelines, has to go into the distribution infrastructure and ultimately to the industries or to the, to the gas-fired power stations. Um, can you just talk a bit about how does the pipeline industry work in, in China yeah. and what's happening with that? Yeah. yeah. Currently, the trunk line of the, the Chinese gas pipeline are mainly controlled on by CNPC mm-hmm. and some then by Sandpipe and CNOC, still majority by all these big three. So there has been a discussion uh, in China about to form a new nationalized pipeline company. And the idea is to put the trunk line and some of the provincial like level of the pipeline into the company and the ownership is not known to the market yet mm. people believe like CNPC will be held majority mm. than Sinopan and Sinoc and the government may want to open up some of the, the, the investment into the public including the private and uh, uh, foreign investor so there's no restriction for them right. investing right. to that this yeah. could be uh, not- notable and watched by the, the investors yeah. into the market. And what difference do you think that new ownership model and ownership structure is going to have on the market? Yeah, the basic idea is, of course, trying to separate the ownership of the pipeline from, like, CNPC mm. and the, the main user of the pipeline. Right, right. And, of course, like, people would expect there needs to be certain allocation rules. If the third party wants to use the pipeline, how you can. Mm, and mm. most people still uh, expect uh, at the early stage, the price of the tariff to get access will be regulated by the government. Okay. Yeah. okay. So hopefully this will provide a, a playing ground that everyone can get access. Yeah. But of yeah. course, there's also uh, people thinking, and uh, for, for example, during the current situation at the peak time, the usage of the pipeline could be like 100% yeah, already by the CNPC. Yeah. For same example, same then, issue, yeah. yeah how yeah. even you get the ownership be separated, how yeah, the third yeah, party yeah. can actually get access. Yeah, because I'm sure as time moves on, um, you know, when China keeps growing as an economy and keeps developing, uh, there's just going to be more and more interest from outside China yeah. on um, in being able to access ultimately consumers of gas yeah. and consumers of electricity in yeah. China. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see how these sorts of developments actually enable that. So there is discussion about expand of the pipeline, for example, or build up new pipeline, but within the regime of the pipeline companies. Mm -hmm. And then beyond the pipelines, obviously, then you've got uh, gas distribution systems, uh, you've got gas-fired power, and you've got the electricity markets. Just maybe a brief comment on the potential to access those parts of the value chain as well. So far, most of this uh, market are open to foreign investors, up to 100% owned Mm. by the foreign investor, which would be possible. But of course, the local market has been already established, quite established. Mm -hmm. I would say there's not a lot of opportunity for the newcomers, doesn't matter whether it's foreign or private investor into this market. And the opportunity may lie in the gas storage. Okay. In the last couple of years, because of this demand increasingly in the winter, so the Chinese government also promote and encourage more investment into build up the gas storage. Gas storage, in okay. China. This could be something to, to, yeah, yeah. to look at. My understanding as well that China's very advanced in um, electricity storage as well, yes. in that most of the batteries in the world are made in China. Yes. Um, yes. And that's something that's being looked at quite actively within yes. China. Yes. And also those uh, also involves 
these type of companies wants to get the technology out of China into yeah, the yeah. international market as well. Okay. And then I know there have been some modifications recently to the foreign investment law. Do you just want to say a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, the new law will come in by 1st January 2020. Okay. And the whole idea is to set up a new like a regime which applies almost the same as the domestic company. So the existing regime which applies to for, uh, joint venture, the Chinese foreign joint venture as mm-hmm. well as a wholly established by foreign companies will be abolished and uh, they will have a one set of rules to apply to both the Chinese uh, companies as well as the foreign investment companies. Okay. And of course, if the company has been set up already, they will, there are five, a five-year uh, transition period for you to change your regime after the yeah, five years. Yeah. So what impacts do you think that new development is going to have on the energy industry in China? Yeah. Uh, currently, the Chinese government has changed the foreign investment catalog to the negative list. Negative list, okay. Negative list. The new negative list applied for 2019 is actually just came into force like two, two days ago. Two days ago. Yeah. In this list, so previously investing to the upstream, like oil, gas, unconventional gas, etc., mm. will need to be partnered by the Chinese and the foreign yeah. joint venture. And now this limitation has been deleted, so okay. which means a foreign company can even own the upstream assets 100% by themselves. Of course, there is no, no such practice yet. Mm-hmm. We still need to wait to see how the market will accommodate. The, most of the current practice is still based on the PSC model. Yeah. You, you enter into the PSC contract with the big three, like CNPC, CNPC, and CNOC. And now you can enter into the joint venture with a local uh, mm. uh, investor who owns oil and gas in- interest, for example, or yeah. you, even yeah. you can apply 100% by yourself. So wow. the regime is there, and we need to wait to see the, the, the practice. Okay. Well, it sounds like um, President Trump and uh, President uh, Xi Jinping <laughs> made some progress together in uh, Osaka <laughs> you bet. last week. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Okay, Monica, well, thank you. That's really interesting. I think that's a really great overview of um, some of the opportunities uh, and some of the issues of accessing the Chinese LNG market. It's definitely an incredibly exciting market. Um, and I think everybody around the world is, um, is hopeful that the skies can continue to get bluer over, uh, over China. Yeah, definitely. We, we have the same hope as well. I'm sure. Thank okay. You. Thank you very much, Monica. Yeah, thank okay. you, Luis. Okay. Thank you.